It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. The GA Hour is sponsored by Paddy Power. For exclusive content from their GA ambassadors and other high-profile contributors, check out news.paddypower.com. And when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going, so I opened up. We were only the small little fish out there, so we are, and uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Walford today because, like, I, I'm heartbroken. I'm so Bernard Brogan is officially back, lads. He scored 1-6. Now, there were six frees, but an absolutely sensational goal when Plunkett's through with St. Jude's. It was 1-9 to 2-6. So Plunkett's used a double sweeper by all accounts. So the Dublin Championship is in full swing. I'm very happy about that, Conan. You're even more um, happy about that. You're out in the Championship tomorrow night. You have me on to, to get an interview before the Dublin Championship. The big, <laughs> the, the big one on Friday night. Yeah. Well, we'll see how the result goes. You could uh, be on in the mix on Monday. You never know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the Dublin Championship's hard to beat. Dubs TV really um, really does it. A great service, doesn't it? Like It, it does. adds everything to it. All these clips going around. And watching the Bernard Brugan goal this morning, like you know, it's just, here it is. Here's the big championship. An absolutely super goal. Diagonal ball. Brogan's surrounded by three defenders so well, obviously I said Plunkett's used a double sweeper so immediately Bernard Brogan's been hit with a double sweeper mm. in return um, at a good diagonal ball beat the three sweepers and Bernard Brogan stuck it in the net with uh, his left foot Connor, a fellow on Twitter tried to wind me up by saying he celebrated for Plunkett's but didn't never celebrates for Dublin it's all Jim Gavin's fault it was a bare celebration now I have I to say so. there wasn't much to it now in fairness and See, why, you tried to get lads try to get a wind up out of me why wouldn't you celebrate after a goal like that just the way to beat the double sweeper lofted ball in over the top Bernard Brogan wins it finishes expertly with the left foot if you can't celebrate that yeah, play. exactly. He's been consistent with his celebration as well. He's always on the sort of double fist bump. No, well, I can. I have first-hand experience. 2007, Leicester finally <laughs> scored a goal before half time, and he did a dance in front of the hill like this. Uh, I think <laughs> so I that's, remember, his, yeah, that's right, him. That's right, him. He's right. a showman. He's toned it way down. Right, right, right. So he's been consistent since you've noticed it. <laughs> <laughs> that's about it. I was on the receiving end of that dance in right in front of the hill. Anyways, Paddy Christie is coming up to talk to us about Ballymun Kickhams, their favourites again this year they're one or two to one um, they've been favourites pretty much since they won it in 2012 and they're the great enigma of Dublin football they haven't retained it um, they've lost two finals since 2012 so we're going to find out he's been with, with nearly all of their players since under 10 level um, so or had them at some stage underage so we'll talk to him and see what the hell is going on <laughs> in Ballymun Kickhams and why aren't they winning it every year and the All-Ireland <laughs> with the team they have on, on paper so moving on from that lads I have a few disciplinary um, bits of news the first one up is Carlo now Terlock O'Brien has been hit with 20 week ban uh, Stephen Poacher with 12 weeks Brennan Murphy with 12 weeks so anyone will have seen the video of this incident by now and you'll be in no doubt that these bans are absolutely warranted so they were hit with the suspensions from the CCCC after the down match they were charged with threatening conduct towards a referee and minor physical inf- interference with a referee. So they appealed that. 
and on appeal the minor physical interference with the referee was dropped because there wasn't enough evidence and probably the camera is a little bit too far away to see what uh, physical interference but absolutely threatening conduct towards a referee was 100% provable judging by the video like I mean Turlock O'Brien ran across the field like a football hooligan you know like I mean he he was running so fast he almost tore his hamstring I thought yeah. he was going to hit the ground halfway across what was, he, where, what was he going to do what was he going running that fast over and what actually happened Brennan Murphy's around the ref Poacher's around the ref that's no surprise and you have Turlock O'Brien sprinting from a sideline now anyone who hasn't seen the video it's on the direct other side of the field he has to sprint the whole way across then members of the public came in from the terrace and came after the referee mm. while, the, while the double Carlo management and the Brenda Murphy were surrounding him disgraceful yeah. scenes like I mean so the CCCC hit uh, Turlock O'Brien with 16 week ban and because they appealed it and I'd say they appealed it to to by the leash game so they could all be involved in that and try and avoid relegation don't have too many issues with that to be honest with you most most uh, would do that and Turlock got his ban increased from 16 to 20 weeks which is proper order as well yeah uh, it wasn't um, it wasn't nice at all the video was very it, it was almost like it's really bad for a club level and this is happening at national league inter-county yeah. level like you know and all that you know, getting around the yeah. referee and you're right like he sprinted the whole way to the referee and I don't know what what we planning on doing actually it was interesting as he was running there's a down player there trying to stop him for about 20 like well 20 metres as Turlock's running towards him and he's trying to calm him down he's putting his hands out saying don't bother about it but Turlock just runs on past him and runs towards the referee and I know it's frustrating it was the speed at which he was running it would remind you of somebody a fan running onto the field and almost fell yeah as you say because he was just out of control almost and I know we all get frustrated and and like I do believe that they were a bit hard done by in that game but like what? What were you going to do there? Yeah. Then like, nothing was going to change. Like, you that, know? That, that doesn't matter. Like a few people had to be forcibly restrained. This yeah. was, this wasn't the restraint where oh come at me, you know, and they really want you to actually hold yeah. them back. They really wanted to get at the ref. It was really messy, and like it, there was, I, I, I think they were cleared of minor physical interference. But it's a good job because there was somebody, somebody took the initiative straight away to go to the ref and make sure that nobody was getting yeah. at him. Yeah. And to be honest, if that had escalated any further, there is every chance that somebody could have got at the ref, and maybe not Terrell O'Brien, but somebody from the crowd that was so raged, so enraged. One person in particular. Who knows what they might have? Yeah, they were like the, the, they were the, there was somebody the nearly rest, on the yeah. ground holding the back. Yeah. Who knows what they would have done? So the whole problem with this game was that they thought the referee played too much at a time. I wasn't at the game. This is just from reports that Carlo um, equalised the game with extra time up, and the referee allowed another another down attack, and from that t- attack down won a fifty meter free. And Carlo thought, well, he's going to try and kick it from here, and they all switched off. Carlo or the down took it really quick and Donald Lahir scored a point from play to win it referee blows it up so they were incensed at that now we don't know was there injuries in the additional time we don't know the you know the issues surrounding that but even if you feel hard done by like there's no circumstances yeah. can you yeah. do that as yeah. a management team and have a referee in fear of his own safety on a football field absolutely mm. not acceptable and looks like ter- looks like they're all going to miss the championship because I think the 12 week ban brings them up past the Leinster final and past round 3 of the qualifiers yeah. and with all due respect to Carlo you can't see them going too much further than that anyway so like I mean you can't have too much sympathy when you see the when you see the the video but they refused to talk to the media afterwards and they tried to play the victims by saying this is how smaller counties are treated you know and all this kind of thing and my my opinion on Carlo is that like Leitrim this year everybody thought it was a great feel good story it was fantastic to see a small county like Carlo get out of Division 4 and it was universal um, kind of agreement that this was fantastic just like there is for Leitrim and then you start it was the game in Dr Cullen Park against Leash you start hearing stories from the Leash players about what Poacher is at on the sideline and running in and what he says to players and what some of the Carlo players are saying to some of the Leash players and one in particular was at it again on last the last league game in Amore Park talking to him about his sister and all this kind of nonsense and you hear all this and my kind of you know enjoyment of seeing Carlo do well started kind of to decrease a little bit and we know Turlock is a gent but he wasn't a gent in that in that clip in any manner of means but like I mean I don't know I just like when you see Leitrim like Leitrim, there's no stories coming out of Leitrim you, you're, they're back in Division 4 now with all this carry on and if they wonder why they don't get uh, any breaks from referees 
well maybe if you leave them alone like mm. Davy Fitz doesn't know why he doesn't get a break off referees because he's yeah. constantly at them and they're humans and they see the referees see Poacher running onto the field and his antics they see they hear Carlo players whatever they're saying don't be surprised mm. <laughs> like I mean that's all I'd sure say sure officials talk as well I mean, uh, you know, talk. like if they're involved in games where Carlo have been kind of acting up, they're they're going to be telling their fellow referees what what what, they, what they've been doing, and while that mightn't, while that shouldn't necessarily dictate the opinion of of an individual referee, you can't. It's human nature; you can't help but be influenced by what's happened before. But if they're looking for sympathy, they're going the wrong way about it because you know I I think they took a media ban after the the game and said, oh well, write what you see yourselves. We don't need to comment on it. But the reality is that the that like people are only seeing what's happened there what's happened after the down game and they're definitely going to make their opinions on that and as you said sympathy for Carlo will lessen as a result Yeah, and for me they got, they got their comeuppance here now because they're all suspended and you'd like to think that they might learn a lesson from the whole thing so if you have anything else to add we'll move on from that <laughs> <laughs> well, they've done really well in the last two years <laughs> <laughs> yeah so Fintan Kelly at that same central hearings committee um he escaped the ban for his sending off in the league game. Remember that, Conan? Was think it was yeah. Keane, or were you here, Conor? No, you probably no, remember I heard it. You talking about it. Was I, I, saw, you know, I know the tackle, though. Yeah. It was they found the alleged offence of striking with the elbow not proven, and that's exactly what we said on the show. It's impossible to say. I thought it was a fair shoulder. I didn't even think it was a a, a foul. Um, you and Keith, we actually were saying James Horn was on that side and he didn't think there was much no, in it. So it we're harsh. thinking that was a better view of even the camera view. So that seems to be definitely the right decision. Anyways, Fenton Kelly's off. Yeah, it looked, uh, if anything, his hand might have been up or something, you know, as if he was going into tackle. It didn't look like an elbow. And as you say, he just couldn't prove it anyway. There was Fer- no Fergal Bowden had to jump towards the ball, so I think he might have even jumped towards the contact with Fintan Kelly's arm or something <laughs> like that. It, it definitely wasn't a, a, like a swinging motion or like for, uh, Fintan Kelly hitting Fergal Bowden in the face. It, look, it looked bad because the ball was really 50 50 and it just hopped awkwardly in front of Fergal Bowden. I just think yeah. it's the, so nearly it was as much the way he jumped into it as the way Fintan Kelly. Because I saw it as well, it was given as a free, I thought. When he was going for his card, that's not even a card. Never mind. Yeah. It was barely a free. It was just a collision, and a red card just seemed harsh. So it's glad. It, yeah. It's good that the it's good that it's good that it's off. Made. So Seamus Harnady, some more GA politics for you here, lads. If you can stomach it, so <laughs> he's gone to the Central Appeals Committee um, to clear him to play against Tipperary. So he was sent off against Tipperary. This is Tipperary in the Munster League on May the twelfth. He was sent off against uh, Tipperary in the league game. Now, it was an absolute clear sending off, a strike with the hurl. He got a rush of blood to the head. He's accepting that the red card was absolutely fine. He's not disputing the red card. What he's doing, he's disputing this on a point of law. So this gets, we talked about this in the hurling show. So there's a rule, right? So Cork played Kilkenny then in a relegation playoff. So he was hit with a one-match ban. Cork want that relegation playoff to be counted as the one game ban and have him back for the next game so he's holding his hands up I was sent off no problem with that straight red one game ban the dispute here and the legal issue is coming um, in relation to whether that game was a game that that saw out his one game ban or not right so the the GEA rule which I read up so the official guide states that next game in competition in relation to suspension stipulates that a game or competition, the sole purpose of which is to determine qualification or relegation in respect of the following year's championship or league, shall not be deemed to be same competition. So the GEA rule clearly states that a relegation playoff is not another game, so you can't see out your suspension. So, wait, there's more, uh. right? <laughs> there was no relegation riding on this game. <laughs> Right, because the leagues were restructured, so this was not so actually. A that's what Cork are arguing on a legal <laughs> term. Isn't oh that amazing? Yeah. It's amazingly awful, really, when you think about it. Like it couldn't happen anywhere else other than the GA. So it'd be interesting because <laughs> Connor Delaney from Kilkenny was sent off against Wexford that same last round um, game, and he would have played that. Um, relegation in commas game and so he's actually injured now so he's in a race against time to get back for the Dublin game next month but it'll be interesting to see legally whether the GA can enforce that extra game relegation playoff when yeah. Cork will argue it wasn't relegation <laughs> the, the writing of the rules just trying to say a bonus game like you know like a playoff game or whatever like yeah. it's not one of the regular season games yeah but but they've just stipulated it has to be relegation or promotion. So Cork could win this, I yeah, think. Yeah, their yeah, wording yeah. is going to screw them over, I think. Like, they, they are intending to say just an extra game. Yeah. But they haven't said that. Yeah, OK. <laughs> so some goalkeeping stats here that were in the Independent was 
that um, it's the pa- pa- passbacks. So there's been a lot of talk about Graham mm. Brody. We talked about it a lot at the weekend and how he's just been caught out twice in two years. And all the, f- the fad now is that goalkeepers come out, create the extra man. So Clain were the first ones, I think it was 2012, to go to Congress. Or 2015. 2015 went to Congress. And their motion was calling for a goalkeeper in receipt of a passback from a colleague had to play the ball away by kicking it. Um, instead of hand passing it and maybe it was to reduce hand passes maybe it was to increase the degree of difficulty of having to pass back because Stephen O'Mara who's done work for us from Grassroots GEA he proposed that pass backs to the goalkeeper be banned altogether now you can see where they're coming from on this and I think it probably would be no harm it wouldn't be a big deal Mm. there is an extra excited element of a goalkeeper being able to come out but it, if they receive a kick out directly from a kick out they can't pass that back to him so in other words it will encourage teams to press up without that um, fear of just going straight back to the goalie then you're down a man and is the press been really any goal you know what I mean the press is, isn't as, yeah. as uh, effective if you can go straight back to the goalie I'm all, I'm all for that but the, the analysis of double the num- or they had analysed uh, 10 games back in 2015 and there was an average of three passes back per game back then. So fast forward four years and there's 10 per game. So it's treble. Yeah. So it's going back to the goalkeeper all the time. So I am nearly, nearly almost like the back pass rule in soccer years ago. There are sidelines being taken back. You know, there are games yeah. in play where it just goes across and then play keeps coming up the other side with the goalkeeper. Yeah. And oftentimes if you're all paired off, he might be just looking around who am I going to get yeah. uh, I'd be nearly in favour of that back pass thing now it can be a really handy out for a cornerback if he's a free kick just to be able to go back to the keeper and then get the hand pass back off him and stop the attack yeah. you know what I mean I think, the, you know, I think that's more than treble because we've talked in the past about GA being copycat so basically if somebody saw Niall Morgan doing a short kick out and getting the hand pass back and then some other manager sees him, you know, oh, that's a good tactic, you know. So just kind of replicating them themselves, and I think that's only—it's obviously only increased in recent years. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think it have a huge, huge impact on the game. But if it, it, it might, yeah, it if, might it, inc- if, it, if it if it encourages more pressing up, I think so. But I, I'm just trying to think of teams that maybe uh, some of the top teams that, that that do rely on that that short kickouts and maybe getting that handy out back to the keeper afterwards. And to, uh, off the top of my head, there's not many coming to it. So, no. but if it encourages high pressing, then I'm all for it. Yeah, as well, and yeah. I think the thing is most scores from play you can't do an aggressive press anyway so that short kick out mm. is on um, and you don't necessarily have to give it straight back it's just when the aggressive press is on it's almost like all those will go to midfield then and you see yeah, more contests yeah. maybe that would be the case because a goalkeeper definitely wouldn't give it to somebody being marked tightly if they had to actually take on the yeah, man yeah, that was yeah. you know it would probably cut out short kick outs in the instances that a, a point results from a set play yeah, especially if they're running back towards their own goal they don't want to give it that and then have to your man has to either turn around and take your man on rather than just to hand exactly. out giving it back to the keeper yeah. I, th- I think it might add to the excitement of it Conan you don't like rule changes <laughs> so <laughs> I, I see you Step going very quiet <laughs> head, his head went quiet. down I went I'll just move on here or will I, I just uh, I don't like it <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I like the evolution of, of goalkeepers I think it's been one of the best things in recent years I have to agree that I'm on that's the part I'm on the fence about but goalkeepers don't have to it's not precluded goalkeepers from coming out Brody yeah. comes out at all stages in a game it's not stopping that it's not stopping Began coming out and receiving a pass in play it's just from a kick out mm. which, which I, I agree with you I wouldn't necessarily like to see goalkeepers having to go back to just stay on their yeah, lines yeah. I think yeah. that evolution is good let's, let's try it in the mechanical there you go there we go let's try it let's try it with a view of coming in in the championship three <laughs> years down the line um, so Michael Murphy was doing media this week and he was talking about Andy McEntee who accused him of trying to influence the referee so after the league final so he said what do you uh, what do you say to it he said it wouldn't be a bad thing to have even though it's rubbish there's sometimes and some instances where you commit a foul and you get a yellow card but I'm in no place to influence anything I go out and try to play the game as best I can as an individual the first time it's the first time I've ever been asked about it in an interview or anything like that it's a difficult one to answer it's the first time it's come up now my opinion on this is Michael Murphy absolutely influences referees there's no doubt that the big players on your teams influence referees whether whether they mean to or whether that's their intentions but uh, uh, Joe Soap cornerback complaining to a referee versus the star midfielder mm. You absolutely they do put them, put them under pressure. Now there's no there's no harm in complaining to a referee. You'd have an issue maybe with 
the, the same Michael Murphy following the referee around on all sort of decisions but if decisions he's directly involved in I don't think that's influenced the referee that's having an old moan at the referee mm-hmm. necessarily but it does influence them at the same time so I can see where Andy McEntee's coming from and Michael Murphy He's the person I've heard most from the crowd people shouting let him referee the game because he always seems to be beside the referee yeah, having but a as captain are you, are you, yeah. are you is your duty to do that as yeah. well I don't know It's just but very cute Yeah it was actually Joe Canning years ago made huge headlines after an All-Ireland hurling final it was the drawn game in 2012 where he said about Henry Shefflin he said in one instance in the first half Henry ran 30 or 40 yards down the field and was given out to Barry Kelly um, and Damien Hayes for a free that's not sportsman like either at the same stage that's the way it goes that's probably the experience they have big players are doing this for donkey's yeah, ears lads yeah. you know that like I mean and especially if it's a Michael Murphy or a, or a Henry Shefflin who have incredible reputations within the game who are seen as honourable uh, clean you know what I mean everything that's good about the GA don't think for a second there, lad you got that wrong now referee you know that that's going yeah. Henry Shefflin now I, they're probably the two examples of fellas with the respect they have in the game telling a referee you got that one wrong yeah, yeah, it's an yeah. Abs- yeah. It's an absolute. Feel bad if you're. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. would. You were saying to a referee, they're like, they don't have bad reputations. They're legends of the game. I wonder, did I get that one wrong? You know, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, no, there's a massive influence yeah. on referees. I remember, I remember Joe Canning saying it at at the time. It was after the drawn game. I think there was three weeks to go until the the replay at the time because the football final had to be played afterwards. And I thought it was a bit. Uh, I thought it was very brave of him to come out yeah. with something like that because the Hurling press needed like stuff to fill the papers between the two finals and when he called out Henry Shefflin for that they were talking about it for weeks so, you know, I, like, that was 2012 I think I don't yeah. think Joe Canning would be doing it no now. and it was three weeks between that replay yeah, yeah, so yeah, that yeah. filled yeah. like I mean oh yeah I, he went to, they went to town on Joe in that like I mean yeah. what, that's seven years ago so he was, he was young yeah yeah, yeah. yeah he, well he'd been around for about three or four years but he wasn't maybe as mature and experienced as he was now but uh, yeah. but you're dead right like that that and uh, like it's up to the individual referees not to be influenced by it but like 100% if somebody of the stature of Michael Murphy or Henry Shefflin questions a decision or even tries to you, you hear them try to butter up referees as well yeah. maybe oh, well, you, tell them you, to did but something you're well, told to do that oh yeah yeah, 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 like, yeah. have you ever met a manager who hasn't told two or three lads like go over shake his yeah. hand be nice to him you get on his good side yeah. and yeah. you I've actually seen it work you've yeah. seen yeah. and this is why we're talking about the Carlo thing referees are human if you're tormenting a referee like you're not going to get 50-50s yeah. yeah. it's very simple you're not <laughs> You're insulting him. You're telling him he's doing a terrible job. You charm him and say you're having a maybe not you're having a good game. That's cheesy. Like he'll see straight through <laughs> yeah. that. But you know, yeah. good call, ref. You got that one right. Yeah. Just re- to reaffirm in his head, he's having a good game. You know, or you know, yeah. That's whatever. probably said in every team before every yeah. game. Like, let's, let's get the yeah. ref on side. Yeah. like that's a tactic. Get the ref on side. No back to him because we want him to be nice to us. I, yeah. I watched Michael Murphy actually. Yeah. It's a bit of a diversion, but take have a free kick on the 45 in that final against Meath and take it from inside the D you and Kemerson or Killian O'Connor was the best at that but I couldn't believe it he like, went from the 45 inside the D just inside the 45 yards. won the free ended up taking the free inside the D right. so by the time he's rolled it forward a little bit and then picked it up and sat it back down and then his routine, his routine and yeah. runs him into the D yeah. and the ref wouldn't even notice there's all these little things that people are doing for a, not that Michael Murphy needed the extra 10 yards to be honest Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you mentioned uh, hurling news and and hurling kind of controversies so Declan Hannan was doing the same media day as Michael Murphy and he's still being asked about what Jackie Terrell said about Limerick that they're not a top three team can you believe that this know, is still going on so I refuse to talk about this on the football on the hurling show because I said what's the big deal here that's Jackie's opinion and it might probably be mischievous because they clearly are and Limerick actually went out and destroyed Kenny yeah. that same yeah. the very next day after Jackie said it it was on League Sunday it was in the papers and now we the start of the league no or no was it we're into the league three games in four right, games okay, into the yeah, league so yeah. now Declan Hannan is still answering questions about this the Limerick captain after winning the league like they're clear favourites for me to win the All-Ireland clear favourites with all Galway's injuries and he's still being asked are you a top three team now or whatever <laughs> so I'm not I'm not having any issue with uh, it's not meant to be a slight on whoever asked him because like we all ask questions or mm. whatever but he says he could be right we mightn't be the top three team in Ireland <laughs> it's very very competitive he said, "Just look, or look. It just comes back to ourselves and our own performances on the pitch, and that's all we can really focus on. We can't focus on anything. Anything other teams are doing, we'll see where we are at the end of the year. So, like, what's he supposed to say about yeah. that? Like, this what annoys me about punditry. And again, it's not a Jackie who might have been stuck for something to write that Saturday. We all feel his pain there. Like, it's like Van Dyke has a great game." 
is Van Dyke the best centre back in the world? <laughs> Call it yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah. Call that yeah, right yeah. now. Why does it, why does everything have to be that? <laughs> yeah, why yeah. are we now creating top three hurling teams based on nothing? <laughs> yeah, like yeah. that's not analysis. It's so dull. I hate it. I hate it. Like off the ball, do power rankings. <laughs> like it, that's a Hogan stand message board uh, kind of thing. Like I mean, give me a break. It's just so dumb. <laughs> well, well, where would you say Limerick are top five? <laughs> uh, well, they're at least three. They're at least three. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I wanted to get that off my chest. Is this is this best in the world? Uh, give me a list of where they come in this, and it, it, I don't know. It's just taken over, lads, and it yeah, frustrates yeah. me. Yeah. And like, you'll never see a list on this show. <laughs> <laughs> they make it more boring, though. Like there are so many nuances. You talk about Galway's injuries. And now, like Kilkenny's injuries, Kilkenny are missing their whole spine. I'm thinking the Leinster Championship is wide open for Dublin to come into, you know, but Jackie Tyrell might not say that Dublin are the top three in Leinster. Was that uh, hurling analysis? I think so. Oh, I think so yeah. oh my yeah, God. Yeah. Thinks he's cheddar. Nearly going to fall off my chair. <laughs> what happened, lads? It blacked out. But, there. but this, is, this is the point I'm making about hurling as well. Nobody ever kind of. This is why it made so much headlines. Like, say, for example, if Tomas O'Shea said that uh, Tyrone aren't a top three team there would be no big deal about that like, hurling, nev- hurling folk never criticise each other never yeah. say anything kind of to rattle each other's feathers and maybe that's why it made such big news yeah. such know? a smaller club as well I suppose of, of, of the top teams maybe compared yeah. to but that's like it football. but like I suppose if someone if Joe Brawley said Dublin aren't top three now he wouldn't say that because he adores them <laughs> I, I think people would just say you're talking nonsense it wouldn't it wouldn't last uh, maybe six weeks in the news cycle anyways but anyways we'll move on from that maybe it wasn't worth complaining about it should hold off for <laughs> more important things um, Kieran McGeaney right so if we're continuing on, we bring soccer into this show an awful lot so the, the old stock won't enjoy the soccer <laughs> kind of analogies but this is Kieran McGeaney getting the dreaded seal of approval <coughs> you know like when a chairman tells you yeah, your yeah, job yeah. is secure everything's going well and then you get sacked two the days later confidence. the yeah, vote of confidence the vote of confidence so that's it so um, so the Armagh County Board Chairman Mi- Mickey or Mikey Savage told the Irish News he says going forward I'd like to think that Kieran will stay on so he's in the fifth year of his five year deal did well to get a five year deal any manager um, he said that would be my opinion he has put a team in place there now and I think he deserves the chance to get the best out of them Geezer also has the full support of the players um, the players are really behind him there's no doubt about that we're all hoping for another good run in the championship this summer well not another good run in the Ulster championship because you haven't won one game in four years so like I mean I, it's hard to know when you try to analyse uh, <laughs> McGinney's record with Armagh he made an all around quarter final uh, with Grimley but that was Grimley that was in mm. 2014 and they performed very well with against Donegal, Donegal and could almost beat them that day but that's not McGinney that was you know that was a joint yeah. managerial team so on his own he's made the quarterfinals once and in the most impressive run to through the qualifiers beat Tipperary away who were coming off uh, an other semi-final maybe not the previous year but two years previous a big mm. enough team and then beat Kildare who were a Super 8 team last year in Croke Park um, but then got destroyed by Tyrone which left the you know left a bad kind of look on the year yeah. His league has been up and down. Like, I mean, he's been relegated from from Division 2. He's been promoted. And this year, you'd say unimpressive enough in the league. Like, I mean, just... They're, Very hit and miss. They should have been competing for promotion there. They've never won an Ulster Championship game. I love Geezer, you know that. But, yeah. like, I mean, he needs a good year this yeah. year to justify being kept on, no? Yeah, to me, sorry, God, to, like to me, like like even on this show, like I I've rarely heard a team generate as much excitement amongst <laughs> ye as our man. Genuinely, genuinely, like in the yeah, last, have them back in here again uh, today. Ah, yeah, uh, yeah, and in the last couple of years, it's kind of when when you're talking about like teams that are going to make an impact on the year ahead. Our our are often mentioned, and, and you see the players that they have at their disposal, and and with somebody like Kieran McGinney in charge, you think, yeah, there's definitely potential there. But then you look at their record. I mean. I don't know, like one not winning an Ulster for four years. Not uh, a game now. Not a game. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, and they're not a, they're not seen as a big player up there. They're like I mean, yeah. when you think of Ulster, yeah. you think of Tyrone, Donegal, Armagh. Armagh have not broken into that in the last four years. Not only have they not broken into that, they haven't won a game. Yeah, and they've lost like, some very disappointing games too. Like yeah. teams they were expected to beat and got, and got well beaten. And Fermanagh last year, down Ka- the year before. Cavan, Cavan beat yeah. them a, few, a couple of years ago as well. So like I I, I don't know. I, to me, I'm I'm waiting on Armagh to deliver. But like when like how how long. Like that's like Kieran McGinney's had four years already. Like I'm not surprised the players are kind of all for him. He's clearly a player's man. The Kildare players loved him as well. 
but like I don't know to, to me it's a very kind of average kind of term that McGinney has had so far I don't know what you think from the st- I would agree from the from the stats Mark Shields has been has been defending him not this year but recently he says yeah there's times we do feel like we've let him down a bit now he was obviously asked this because that's the answer would make you think <laughs> that was, these words were put in his mouth but he still said it he said yeah I do t- feel like there's times we've let him down a bit especially in the Ulster Championship we haven't really turned up the last two or three years it's frustrating we want as a team to do it for him whether it's his last year or not now I don't really necessarily like that we want to do for him we're letting him down Uh, why are you letting him down like Mm. I mean he prepares the team like Mm. I mean why are you not performing at your optimal level you know like I mean that's not I I never agree with that and I've always been a players man and players respond to the good game plan a good a good atmosphere in the squad which there does seem to be a good atmosphere in the squad but maybe the game plan isn't right there's something not right because they're massively underachieving and I don't like ever a player saying we're letting him down it's, it, I'll bring in another soccer one it's like a, a club in trouble with relegation I would say we're letting down the manager at the moment like you're only, I don't know I think maybe that you would be appreciating the manager hearing you say that like you know I, yeah, d- I don't yeah, agree yeah. with that analysis yeah and, like there are cases you know where there's one game where players can, can mess things up and it's out of the manager's control but you'd yeah. like to think over five years that that evens out and it is up to the manager preparing the team and I remember that, that Tyrone game in Crew Park and they're not at that level but I, I was just scratching my head thinking why are there three Armagh sweepers just sitting back mm-hmm. there there are no Tyrone forwards Mark Bradley was there and Armagh had somebody marking him and three sweepers marking yeah. him so well they had, definitely got the tactics wrong that exactly day, yeah. like, you know, so he had those moments now he probably wouldn't have beaten Tyrone anyway but they did come in the question but what I would say is like we do get excited about them on paper but they are like a they're a charming team when you watch them play as well and like, I was at that Tipperary game and the Kildare game and sort of fell in love with them and they always have these moments it's a really nice day to play in general it is it's very easy on the eye yeah. and that's why we like them so much you yeah know? and they have those class moments like that Jamie Kirk goal against Tipperary and like you know Mark Shields performance against Tipperary on Robbie Kelly. like you know they just have these great sort of things to stand out when you think about them and you think of other teams the same way over the last few years you wouldn't remember them as much yeah the Kildare game was the big one but anyways like I mean there's nothing to say that they won't have a good run this yeah. year and it'd be yeah. perfectly justifiable and anyways I don't know what's going on because when you when you ask people I know that Kier McGinney is the senior manager but he's also restructuring underage and he's doing a lot more work so maybe it's the it's the whole role of his okay, rather than just the senior senior manager you know like I mean that uh, might be what the chairman is impressed with and obviously McGinney is a very impressive individual Darren Hughes is out we mentioned this on Monday that he went over his ankle he's broken his ankle so he's out for 10 to 12 weeks which will see him out of the entire Ulster Ulster Championship so he's not losing heart he's keeping the head up as you would say and hopefully be back for the Super 8s he's a huge loss and the reason he's a huge loss I didn't realise that that last year's All-Star nominee Niall Kearns if you're wondering why you didn't see much of him he's since undergoing surgery to repair a valve in his heart so he did that last October so he could make a return during summer but Jesus that sounds like a very serious injury and then you have Kieran um, Hughes who missed the whole league with a hamstring injury. Now, Kieran Hughes, I think, has fallen out of favour. He was a sub for a lot of the championship last year, just getting on. There are three huge players around the middle for Monaghan. Like, I mean, there's no way they can do without them. And that throws Monaghan's Ulster Championship hopes, for me, out the window. Mm. Who plays midfield then, I wonder, with, with all them gone? Because they, 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 against Mayo, they played Neil McAdam, who would, McAdam I, would, would play. I have as a centre-back? And then they have Gavin Dugan, Dugan I think, plays around there as well. But they, he's like, a wing he's, he's forward, the yeah. forwards as well. So they it seems play to be Carl, a bit Carl O'Connell there sometimes yeah. as well. They, they don't, they're their three options, real, yeah. realistically. They're tr- there's one, two and three yeah. for midfield, all gone. Now, Kieran might be back, and like if he's back for the championship, but he's missed an entire league, what kind of shape will he be in, you know? Like, I mean, but he has to start maybe alongside... Um, who did you say there? Not Dugan. McAdam. McAdam. McAdam that yeah. would probably be yeah. the midfield then. Yeah, it's very disappointing. I remember when uh, Tyrone beat uh, Monaghan in the semi-final. I was actually disappointed because I thought Monaghan could pose Dublin a bigger threat because of all those players that they have. They just have so many different options than most other teams. So the fact that they're missing three of their big guns... Uh, I don't know. I feel very flat now. Like Ulster Championship is almost like hurling. Like you know, it's a gift from the gods, and we don't criticise it. But it seems like it might not be as good this year. <laughs> yeah. No. Maybe not. Um, I'm just seeing that I am I missing anything here? I don't think so. Um, oh yeah, Darren Hughes. So all those Monaghan lads out. Um, so disappointing news. This is the last story of the day. So Eamon Fitzmaurice has been on, and um, a very honourable thing he did here, really, because there were some accusations of Nace 
students who were in the crowd at that All-Ireland semi-final it was Nace versus Pubble School Corka Duivna there's my Irish for you there now <laughs> so all the, the Gael Gores can laugh at me for that he said there was some racist chanting from the students in the stand at one of the Kerry players and they didn't bring this to light until after the final which was I think a lovely yeah, thing to yeah, do was, because yeah. they didn't want to look like sour grapes and they didn't want to take away from Nace School who might be answerable to this but had no part in it the players the school themselves it was uh, a small section of students who were uh, engaging in some racist uh, chanting towards a player so they brought it up and they're hoping to maybe stamp this out and he said the Nace players must be complimented for the way in which they played and behaved themselves as a result we decided against contacting Crow Park until the final had been played it was an element of their supporters who were responsible for the racist chants now we've all heard boisterous chanting at big schools games but this crossed the line has no place in GEA or society and I think we'd all agree on that so primary chairperson of the GEA Seamus Woods has said that the association have a very clear policy on this rule 1.12 of official guide deals with racist behaviour anything um, in conflict with our policy of inclusion and diversity can be deemed as a discredit to the association there is a very high threshold of response so obviously NACBS are going to have to find these students it's something that I find very surprising in that those students are growing up in multicultural mm. classrooms and while I remember racist jokes when I was in school and it was a bit giggly and whatever like I mean I'm surprised that in this generation that that kind of stuff would go on and really disappointed that it would go on and I thought we the young people of today at that age in, in secondary school and I often thinking of Mannix coming up through primary school thinking he'll ju- everybody's just the same for him yeah. it's just his w- that'll just be his life and I was thinking that 15 year olds 16 year olds and high uh, secondary school students would be thinking the very same thing so it's it's I, I was shocked when I heard that they would be doing that like ir- young Irish fellas at that age chanting racist chants at a GA match now they need to be found and they need to be uh, you know uh, dealt with by NACBS and it's unfortunate for NACBS who can't control what some students do in the, cr- in the crowd either yeah, we like to think of ourselves as very um, welcoming in the GA, and it's you know, it's a game for everybody. And like it's sort of different to rugby; it's not as elitist and you know a class issue. But something like that's just disgraceful. Like you know, are you uh, are you an organisation or a team or you know that club feel? Are you that for everybody, or are you not? Are you sort of separated that we just want this certain type of people who've always played, especially in Nice, which is more diverse than it ever has been? It's like a commuter town into Dublin now, so there's more and more uh, diversity in Nice. Or like, geez, like lads. Welcome to the, to the real world now. Like, yeah, know. yeah. No, it's disappointing. I think the book will be thrown at the at the students, and hopefully, it will. So we'll leave it there, lads, and we'll be back, and we'll talk about Ballymun with Paddy Christie. A lot of people do say, "What do you love about hunting?" They do say, uh, "Is it is it the fresh air? Is it the great outdoors? Is it the thrill?" No, I just love killing things. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so the Dublin Championship kicked off last night and there's more games at the weekend. The standout one being holders Kilmacug Croaks taking on favourites for the Championship Ballymun Kickhams on Saturday. And to talk to us about Ballymun Kickhams who are the great enigma, I think, of Dublin club football. Paddy Christie is on the line. How's it going, Paddy? Harry Cademan. Is, is it fair to describe Ballymun as the great enigma of Dublin club football? Well, since 2012, maybe. Unfortunately, it probably is. Um, it's not a, probably not a nice term, but um, it, it has negative sort of uh, connections with it. But you're, you're talking about a team, I suppose, that has an awful lot of quality and you would have expected, I suppose, after 2012 that we would have won with the group that we had that we would have won between now and then that we would have won in the space of seven years probably another two championships and the fact that there's been nothing since a couple of finals semi-finals stuff like that but overall it, it, it hasn't been a great return on, no. on what possibly should have been there why do, you think, why, do you think, yeah, why do you think that is? There's, uh, it's, I don't think anything in life is ever down to one thing but I suppose a huge uh, the elephant in the room I think as regards club football in Dublin and as regards club football I suppose throughout the country particularly in Dublin with Dublin's success I think 
the amount of county players that that the club have, that the senior team has, I think it's it's probably a hilarious thing to say, but I think it affects us negatively. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's other counties, other clubs in other counties who would be so delighted of half the number of fellas we have involved uh, if they had them in their club. But we just find, I suppose, over the years, I've, I had an involvement one year there a couple of years ago. I was uh, training the lads and um, Paddy Carr was the manager and I just, I thought it was a very difficult year trying to keep everything going and we were tight on numbers throughout the year. Then the lads come back having won in All-Ireland. Um difficult to sort of integrate them reintegrate them and um, you have a sort of pattern of play that you had all year and then it's changed so I think that that is a has a big effect on things I'm not saying it's the only reason but I certainly think that it is a disadvantage for us to have the number of players we have involved Yeah and this is the thing like I mean they're such big players and what I was thinking about it is the likes of Philly McMahon, the likes of James McCarthy, the likes of John Small, they're such versatile players that you can't, you need to maybe try them out in a couple of different positions and get your kind of team s- settled and you don't have an opportunity to do that. Well, you can't. I mean, you, like they're, they're playing, you know, an All-Ireland final and then two weeks later, roughly two weeks later, they're out playing for you in a big match and that could be a knockout game or whatever and I mean you've no you've no chance I mean the week of any game you'd know yourself over the years very few top clubs or top counties would be doing anything heavy the week of a game it'd be just a kick around and there'd be a bit of talk and that sort of thing so if you have two weeks with the lads you really only have one week and that's maybe two sessions and I mean yeah. if they're after winning All-Ireland with due respect they're entitled to a few days off and have a bit of crack so I mean it's just I think it's very very difficult I think that the likes of St Vincent's and um, other clubs around the country in the relevant club championships that they, if they don't have an awful lot of players in the game team I think that stands them. and I think if you look at Vincent's over the years they're not I know they they may have um, got a little bit less powerful in the last 18 months but still overall they've been the standout team in Dublin probably the standout team other than Corrafin in the last five or six years and they're, they're like they haven't had many fellas involved in the panel yeah. that's the truth and, you and know? yeah they haven't no and like I mean this new structure is really killing Ballymun now altogether because two of the early games are done away with that might be easier games and then you could be closer to the knockout when you come back when the lads are coming back off an All-Ireland win yeah yeah, um, yeah. I mean, if you, if you think of Saturday, like, Ballymun have to get themselves sorted so quickly for a relatively difficult game. I mean, Kilmacud are obviously the champions. Um, I wouldn't say Ballymun anyway would fear them. Um, and they're well capable of winning that game. But there's a possibility that it won't come, it won't come off. And then they're down a game. You know, the, the, the game is the two points left behind them. And... Um, they're under pressure then in the next game. Uh, it's, it's it's very, very difficult. Um, from my point of view, I think it's nearly impossible to manage that situation. And I yeah. think what you have to remember as well is, um, Colm, that the, like during the year, the effect that it has on the rest of the panel is huge because you have fellas who are playing nearly every league game throughout the year. And um, that could be, that's 14 or 15 games in Dublin. And then at some stage, there on the bench uh, for a big game and may not get a run at all yeah. then when the thing is over and you're knocked out or if you win but normally most teams eventually lose and if you're knocked out then the lads are gone and they're back with Dublin in January and you're going back to the fellas that you like sort of dropped off the team Yeah. and you're looking for them to give 100% and I suppose like with due respect you wouldn't do it yourself after a while you get browned off with that as well yeah it's a very difficult yeah it's a very difficult situation really isn't it well I I think it's nearly impossible I I, like I I can't see how it's really I I, I don't know how you do it I think even if you win uh, it doesn't solve the problem because say you win and you know people are happy with that but the the lads who are who have been dropped uh, who've been playing all year, they're still not in, in great shape. You know, they're still, the problem, the conundrum is still there the following January. Yeah. Um, because, or whenever it is that you, you finish off in an All-Ireland club run or whatever, you've still got the same problem. Like, so, you know, it is it's it is very, very difficult. It's a great complaint in one way, but really, I think it's hard. And I think 
it's even more complicated by the fact that you have fellas who are so pivotal to the Dublin team. Like we have lads there who are key members of the Dublin team for the last number of years and they are playing a lot of football. Yeah. Um, they're playing a lot of big games. They're going to the well over and over again. And then, you know, in their downtime as such, you're look, looking for them to get back up to full speed. And it's it's hard. And I mean, I did it myself for a number of years. We were winning Leinster's, all right. We weren't winning All-Ireland, sadly. But you were winning Leinster's. You were coming back at some stage after an All-Ireland quarterfinal, semi-final. And people were getting sort of annoyed with you because you weren't going 100%. But, you know, you'd been going hard for nine months. Yeah. And then, you know, at some stage, you just sort of take your foot off the pedal and um, people feel that you're not contributing to the club, whatever. But you, you just can't keep going with that. Yeah, well, like, I, I, rem- I remember with Port Leash, the best years I played with Port Leash was when I came back from not having a great year with the county and wanted to prove something. But, like, I mean, yeah. these lads are coming back from an All-Ireland. Like, they're almost, like, their year is almost done and then mentally they have to get back to the pitch of club players it's geez, I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how to do it. Now that doesn't excuse losing finals because they should be back up to that pitch by the time you know they, they they lost the two finals for Vincent's, for example. Yeah, well that's true. I mean, I think that the final, the year that I was involved, uh, the final against Vincent's, we we it's fair to say we 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 nearly totally underperformed. I mean, there were very few lads who really did themselves justice on the day. Uh, we were very flat, and it was even harder in light of the first couple of minutes where we started on fire and James McCarthy um, put in that infamous hit. Yeah, and I was at really the game, yeah. Have, I mean, the team should have been, should have driven on from there after that and uh, it just didn't happen. A couple of very basic mistakes that were punished and Vincent went on to win sort of, even though they didn't really, it wasn't a, a like, um, they didn't hammer a certain like that, but they they were just much the better team, and we never really challenged them. It was very disappointing. So that you're right, that doesn't explain. I mean, that particular performance, yeah, I think you you have to sort of wonder where where we went wrong there. Um, but I mean, I still think overall in the last six years, your original question about why are we an enigma or why is there this problem? I think a central part of it is the is the amount of county players and ironically every club wants to get as many players playing at a high level as possible but I think in this situation with the success of Dublin at the moment I think it's counterproductive you know Yeah and I think actually it needs to be pointed out back in 2012 when you won the county title you just had Philly McMahon and James McCarthy in with Dublin now you have James McCarthy Philly McMahon Dean Rock John Small Evan Comerford and then Paddy Small Jason Whelan Davy Byrne was in there for a couple of years you know what I mean so and like it's a complete change from 2012 when you did win it well, in 2012 as well, Woolly, we, we, you have to remember as well that the likes of Dean Rock wasn't really no. the, the, a key figure in the Dublin squad. In fact, I, think I don't he think he was on it. No, he wasn't on it. So, yeah. you know, he went out with a point to prove and um, John Small was only beginning to come. In fact, sort of John Small um, was sort of, I think at one stage he was on a break for a while and that sort of thing. He was, uh, he was very much you know on the fringe of things uh, he wasn't a pivotal player and like that so I mean it's it's totally different uh, I think that that squad in 2012 had a lot of hunger and the lads who were some a lot of the Kenty lads had a lot of drive in them but like, they've clocked up a lot of a lot of mileage they've been on the go a long time and it's really I think part of it of Ballymun's sort of um I think that the main thing that they need to focus on now is trying to get younger players in um, fresh players so you're not constantly drawn on the same fellas and looking for John Small to give another bit and looking for James McCarthy to do another bit and Philly to do another bit because these fellas they just they, they mightn't have too much more to give like if they're at the end of the season they're not going to have too much to give you know yeah no exactly is there any kind of mental issues kind of coming from the All-Ireland final loss so we all know they played St. Bridget's in the All-Ireland final in 2013 in March and were running away with it and ended up losing it that later on that year they got back to the county final and had it won against Vincent's and Vincent's ended up drawing it I think they might have got 1-2 in injury time or something yeah, crazy yeah. and then you lost the replay like I mean they were two huge huge hammer blows for any club like I mean for me it looks like they've never recovered from that yeah that's a valid point I mean the, 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 those two particular games I, I would say 
it's hard. I suppose it's, it might be difficult to believe, but I would say that the, the Vincent's won in 2013. The replay, the, the game that went to the replay, that was a bigger, uh, that was a bigger um, hurt for us than the than the other one. The one really? in the, the All Ireland Club final. Yeah, it was very tough to take and all, but you have to say the Bridges were very good. They didn't perform in the first half like that. While we were on top, I know a few lads in the Bridges team over the years, and they'd say that they didn't play well in the first half. They only came into the second half. So I mean, everyone has their own has their own slant and things. But but I think at the Vincent's game. I mean, I was at that game. Um, Ballymun were four or five up going into injury time. The yeah. only way Vince get, could get back into it was a goal, and the lads. Um, I think let, let, let Vincent's through very easy. The ball hit the back of the net. Still, we were still ahead, but they ended up just catching, ca- catching, catching up with us and getting a draw. And went to uh, replay, and then the rest is history. But I mean, that was the game that I mean, a, cute, a bit of cuteness there, maybe, and just uh, an old cynical foul or something like that would have um, just put a stop to it. But just those small little things affected it. And I suppose if you if, when you look at it, if you'd have won against Bridges. In 2012 or 13, and if you'd have beaten Vincent that year, you'd probably, you probably you might have gone on and won a second All Ireland Club title, and that's that's the tough thing to look at the fact that there's zero, as opposed to what could have been two very easily, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's the fine lines. Come here, this is just from playing with Parnells and being in and around the Dublin club scene. What might be said, and like it's kind of like if you can rattle Ballymun and get ahead of them they might start arguing amongst each other and they could self-implode now tell me if I'm completely wrong with that or is that, is that gone out of the team now? Uh, I, don't, I don't feel that I, I wouldn't feel that I feel most of the time that when we've lost over the years when we lost against Vince certainly when I was involved a couple of years ago we lost to Vince because they were the better team the night we underperformed and it wasn't the case of them getting ahead. We started it quite quickly and uh, didn't put them away. Then they got a goal from a mistake and they pushed on. But I mean, I don't see that as being. I mean, I think gen- generally that for some of the years there that we didn't um, push on because we just weren't good enough on given days. And I do think as well that the likes of Vincent in particular did get a couple of players that. Uh, that made a huge difference to them, do you know the sort of way? I think that I, I think Vincent's may not have got over the line if they didn't have the quality that of the lads that they that they brought in. Um they that a couple of guys came in from the country who were very good. Um and I'm particularly talking about the likes of Varley from yeah. Brendan you know, Egan too. Yeah. Brendan Egan, excellent player, Varley, excellent player. Like when you look at Varley there a uh, couple of the scores that he kicked in the last number of years, right and left foot. I mean, um, I, I would honestly say that if if he was playing with Bally one, I would feel that we would have won the championship. So I think, you know, it's grand to say, oh, Bally one must be doing this or must be mentally ready or whatever. But like, I think that uh, the likes of Vincent have very good teams and particularly supplemented by the likes of Avarley and Egan and these guys. And Bally one just wouldn't have, we would have a lot of lads who would be just coming up through the ranks or whatever and we wouldn't have the same sort of quality coming in yeah well, you would have so had James Burke and Givney from Cavan was there one year too um, yeah Givney was there he was injured a lot of the time Right. James Burke has been there since minor so I suppose that's that's slightly different but right. I think that if Farley came in for us four or five years ago or the likes of Brendan Egan I do think that that could have just pushed us over the finish line a couple of times as well. I do think that sometimes it's very simplistic, but if you have a, have really good quality players, I, I do think it's, and I think it's the same with Jim Gavin set up, but you have a lot of good quality players, I do think that it, they'll get you a long way as well. I know you can have tactics, you can have, you can have team spirit, you can have facilities and all different things, but I think, I think you know, the quality of players that Vincent would have themselves, and then adding on to it with the likes of, of those lads, I think has sort of got them over the finishing line a couple of times, you know. Yeah. So, come here. you've been uh, credited with being responsible for bringing up an awful lot of these players through the underage ranks. So, you took over the under-10s when you were when you were very young. And those under-10s had Ted Furman, Davy Byrne, Philly McMahon, Eddie Christie, who's your brother. And you brought them right up through the ranks. And then James McCarthy, Dean Rock, Owen Dole and all that age group, they joined at under-21 level and you won three in a row. So, like, I mean, 
that must be a nice feeling to have seen them win a county title. I think there was 13 from your under-21s on that, on that um, team in 2012 that won the county title. That's right, yeah. No, it did. It, it, that, that's lovely to see. And like the, uh, as you pointed out, some of them wouldn't have always been with us since under-10. The likes of James Burke joined late. Um, and you had a couple of other fellas who sort of only started playing when they were 13 or 14. But I mean, there is a core of fellas there who were there since they were nine. So you're talking about my own brother... Ted um, Philly um, I think Alan Hubbard would have joined the following year Owen Dolan and these fellas so like you fellas together for to go to 10 years and they become very close and they, they formed obviously the core of the senior team then for the last number of years but the big thing is now Willie is that we have to find new people like that you know because these guys are now 30, 31, 32 and they have to you know they have to be given, given a little bit of space and sort of be put in a position sometimes where look you might get 30 minutes out of them or 15 minutes when they're under pressure or play the first 40 and then come off but I mean depending on these fellas over and over again to go to the well I think is 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 tough and that's where Ballymun has to try and bring in some of the new lads there's been a lot of good underage players they would have won the 21 championship last year so trying to get the balance right then where these guys were you can bring in a couple of new fellas that doesn't um, disrupt the whole way the team functions you know yeah how did you get them all committing at under 10 how did they all land down like I mean how did you recruit them because some of them are from the flats and that's well documented and you know did you have to go head hunting these lads or going to the schools to get them to come up or how did you how did you <laughs> head hunting is a bit strong <laughs> okay, I mean, well, um... <laughs> for a te- for a nine year old <laughs> I suppose what I would have done was uh, Colm I would have um, I would have been very at the start I would have sort of been training lads who just showed up and never really thought about how they were getting there I mean like it was so primitive at the time I mean, a couple of some of the teachers in some of the local schools would tell fellas that they was training Fatty Moon Kickham's training at 3 o'clock in Poppetry Park on a Friday and I would just go up and train them and I started to dawn on me after a while that um, you know there probably is more fellas out there I mean I wasn't even a teacher at the time um, so I'd done a bit of coaching the summer camps and I sort of, but I was like a novice, complete novice. And, uh, you know, I've, I've learned a little bit since, but at the time I didn't have a clue. And after a while I realised there's more fellas out there. So I started getting them to bring friends and that sort of thing. So I'd say to a fellow, look, if you bring a friend up, um, we'll give you a prize or give you a pair of gloves or this or a bit of crack, you know, I'd, get, yeah. I'd have a few freebies from around. I was playing obviously with Dublin that day. So I'd say, look, if you bring a friend and he stays playing, you can do. We, we bring you, give you a packet of crisps or a bit of a laugh. Like to make yeah. it, we, we make we make training fun. Give out prizes for fellas whoever score. You know, a penal shoe, win a penal shoe out and this sort of thing. You're just trying to make it as fun as possible. As it turned out afterwards, that is probably the way to do things. You know, this sort of way and get the fellas early, get them up playing because once they come playing for the club, uh, they may go again very easy, but the likelihood is they will still come back if the setup is good um, because you know there'll always fellas be drifting away and fellas playing soccer and other things like that but you'll normally find that if you get them which are playing early on at least they'll feel that they're Ballymun Kickham's is their club and that was a big thing for me that fellas had a pair of shorts yeah did, uh, and, with and the Kickham's crest in it come here quickly did, did, did um, any of the players come from your bring a friend policy any of the well known players come from the from come from this <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there be there would have been. Uh, I mean, at the start, Philly and Davy would have been very pally, and Philly came up. Uh, Philly came up, and he brought Davy up with him once, I think. And then I met him in school, and I was training the school team, I think. And Davy was there, and I said, "Will you come back up?" And so I think it was something like that. Definitely, definitely, there was a few really good lads came up through that through that way. Yeah, um, and. As well as that, if you have a young fella trying to join or thinking about joining who's shy, it's very hard for him to come into a group of 20 kids that he mightn't necessarily know yeah. with a new manager. Whereas if you get um, if you get somebody to come with their friend, it, it's like, you know, you, you have somebody with you, there's safety in numbers. Uh, it, you know, it, it, it's, it's like going to a party when you get a bit older. Like It's always nice to have somebody with you as opposed to just going in and not knowing anyone, you know, sort of yeah. way. So, like, that was a big thing as well, to, to, to make life easy to, for fellas to join. That was important. So we always tried to make sure that 
we were sort of pally friendly with them when they came and welcomed them that sort of thing and yeah. told them about the next session and made them feel that they, we wanted them to come, come back you know Philly's on record for saying he had a lot of aggression when he was a young fella and like I mean Davy Byrne has a lot of aggression some, some people would say he still has a lot of aggression he was when I, when I was playing against him anyways but like I mean he, me and him would have had lots of verbal uh, jousts on the field but like I mean I suppose you probably used that aggression they had to your advantage you know like I mean channel it in the right way and everyone benefited from it yeah well I mean ultimately when you're in, when you're not a huge club and you have to remember Woody, that we're now what you'd call a medium sized club we're not even a super club like that, but we're a medium sized club at the time we were really small we had a great name but the club had sort of fallen apart and the structures under underneath were were rotten you know uh, and um, we we didn't have a huge pick like you, you know if somebody had a problem like Davey or Philly and they were causing all the hassle we weren't exactly in a position where you could just say right get lost and don't come back Yeah, you know we didn't have people to replace them so you had to look at it and say right how can I take this sort of, you know problem or weakness and turn it into a strength so needless to say you know aggression in some forms is very important in football and you know to have fellas who are not afraid in one regard is actually brilliant to have particularly if you have a team of fellas who a group of fellas who might be some of them might be quiet and shy you need to have a mix there you need to have fellas who will not be afraid to, to get stuck in and certainly you never felt over the years when we were playing anyone if, if, the, if the physical battles uh, became big you were never you know fearful that we would in any way be intimidated in another sort of way which is which is good I mean and from my from my point of view I was sort of given a bit of stick for saying the teams were very aggressive and all it was ironic so, as you know from playing me I was an angel when I was playing <laughs> Woolly a bit like yourself so <laughs> I never struck a dirty blow at that but the teams I had particularly that team were quite aggressive but I mean they'd be, fight, like, they'd be the in ball. trouble to, sometimes but they, they could get in trouble with fighting and if you couldn't come down too hard on them or you might lose them so there's the whole dynamic of keeping them on side but having to discipline them as well yeah well, there has to be a balance I mean they can't run riot and yet you can't be telling them to go around and not lay a hand on anyone like they have to be able to, I mean it's a physical game you're allowed to hit somebody with your shoulder you're allowed to aggressively go for the ball I mean that's part of the game and while the game has got considerably um, quieter since me and you played well certainly since I played anyway um, it's still a physical game and there's still that level of aggression in it so I mean you can channel that in the right way and sometimes it goes a little bit too far but I mean if you look at the Tyrone's and the Armaz that I played against years ago so you played against them as well I mean yeah that's part of the game and that's the way it was and you had to sort of get on with it Yeah I have to say to you we played against Ballymun I was under 12 so this was about 1990 um, that's how old I am and it was some sort of a fail it was up in Luca or up in the Temple Oak or something and we played Ballymun and it was it was one Saturday morning and it was under 12 and half the team had moustaches <laughs> <laughs> so they hammered us they, ha- they hammered us I was literally terrified to touch the ball <laughs> There might have been many razors around or something like that, you know what I mean? The, the razor might have been hard come by. I don't, I don't know. But the ironic thing about that is, is that that was one of our biggest problems when we were playing matches with the original team I had and the second team I took as well. Um, but, but both teams, and particularly the first team, had huge problems physically. I mean, we often we, we were always playing against uh, physically bigger teams. And part of that might have been to do with the fact that six or seven of the squad, I'd say, 17 or 18 players were underage. They were a year too young. In fact, Ted was two years too young. So when Ted was playing under 10 with me, he was only seven. Um, so you had that problem. Eventually, Ted got a lot bigger and stronger. When he was 15, he was like the size of a minor. But at the start, it was a it, like for the first number of years, we, we, we found it hard to win big games because we weren't physically big enough, you know. And I don't know what team that was, but it's few and far between now when you hear somebody talking about Valley Mun teams being big because um, you must be in particularly smaller (laughs) smaller afraid at 12 years of age (laughs) come here Paddy I've taken up enough of your time thanks very much and fingers crossed Valley Mun can get like it's always my opinion if they can win one more they could win three in a row type of thing but they want to be doing it soon like you said because Philly and James and all these and Dean Rock and all these lads and and Davy Byrne the whole kind of crew of them aren't getting any younger correct yeah they, 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 they are there's a certain amount of time that you have. There's a window there. And now, thankfully, there's some good young players coming through, um, which will keep things going. But 
there, there, there is a possibility that you, if you don't do something soon, that they'll sort of drop down into the, sort of the middle tier in Division One, where you're a quarter finalist every year, semi finalist, but you're not going to really make it. And they're still in that level at the moment, the top tier, where they're one of the the, the, the contenders. But like that's not going to last forever. And if you do bring in the young fellas, you're talking about a couple of years of grounding then, where. Um, they're getting used to things and they're going to go into that middle tier and then they might come back up into the top tier but it's going to it's going to be a transition so this is the time now and after that then um, you know if, if the likes of Philly and these boys can win one or two it would be fantastic for them to finish off their careers because I suppose the likes of Philly due respect he, he probably is not going to be playing much longer into county wise uh, he's a lot of mileage, so it'll be lovely for him to finish off with a couple of county titles, you know. Yeah, no, it definitely would. Paddy, thanks very much for taking the call. No problem. Mind yourself. That's all we've time for this week. We'll be back on Monday with another show, and we'll talk to you then. Good luck. And when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going, so it opened up. We were only the small little fish out there, so we are, and uh, we're trying hard to make it through. It's hard to get the brakes when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Waterford today because, like, I'm hard, I'm heartbroken. The GA Hour is sponsored by Paddy Power. For exclusive content from their GA ambassadors and other high-profile contributors, check out news.paddypower.com. 